The late United States Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once famously observed that everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. This perfectly reasonable bit of wisdom seems lost upon our perfectly unreasonable age. Those with opposing beliefs see no event the same, so we are now defined by our disagreements and revel in the different and, as far as we are concerned, superior nature of both our own opinions and the sometimes questionable facts that inform them. My worry is not only about our degree of political atomization, which is now so abundantly visible that it has almost descended to cliché. I also worry about the regional divides that have been building for many years, and which were starkly revealed on election night in 2016. Today's democratic coalition is mostly located on the coasts, college towns, and urban areas, elsewhere it is largely a sea of red. This harsh reality explains a good deal of the unreality of the expert predictions leading up to Donald Trump's thoroughly unexpected election victory. Pundits always live in big cities filled with like-minded Democrats on the East and West Coasts, a scant 4% of voters in Washington, D.C., for example, cast their votes for Trump, so they were stunned down to their socks by the outcome. Call it the revenge of flyover country if you will, but the slack-jawed and occasionally tearful shock of the talking heads on network television spoke clearly and loudly on election night. We are, unfortunately, two nations living in two entirely separate worlds. These divisions are exacerbated by media coverage that demonizes and denigrates those who hold opposing opinions. I am rather exhausted from reading articles that entirely skip reasoned analysis, and instead focus on how someone has, these are, by the way, just from a quick browse of today's online articles, attacked, burned, scorched, destroyed, clapped back at, called out, or fired back at another human being because they are a kook, crook, dupe, hater, fascist, criminal, Nazi, fool, or idiot. No wonder so many people now shudder when they see the front pages. Hurtful and harmful invective is now so thoroughly woven into our daily conversations that it is remarkable when we encounter grace and consideration, which is as about as sad an observation about the state of our nation as I can possibly imagine. Inflammatory headlines and copy, sad to say, attract viewers and readers, so there is a built-in economic incentive that benefits media that are routinely rude, insulting, and unfair. In addition, the political interests of the most extreme are well served by dehumanizing their opponents in order to attract equally outraged donors and followers. The unfortunate synergy that consequently arises between hungry media and angry partisans reinforces the worst in each, and those who adopt more moderate positions can expect to be ruthlessly and endlessly attacked by those at both fringes of the political spectrum, which serves only to squeeze the moderation right out of them. My concerns have been increased by hearing accounts of people ditching social media because they simply cannot stand the levels of venom and vindictiveness that so many routinely display in their posts. The net result is to leave the dialogue to those who have the least interest in actual dialogue. What we see today is that famous couplet from William Butler Yeats' poem, The Second Coming, in real life, the best lack all conviction, while the worst, are full of passion and intensity. We are lost if thoughtful and fair-minded Americans, who are those most likely to forge and support the consensus solutions our nation needs to survive, retreat from our public forums. The grim solitary comfort to be found in growling at our glowing televisions pales in comparison to taking part in a national conversation that involves listening intently, speaking respectfully, and caring intensely. As much as we may sometimes be discouraged by the wild anger of others, we cannot allow ourselves to be driven to the political sidelines by those who care for little beside the sound of their own brittle voices. A chorus is most robust when everyone sings their parts together, and we should not be afraid to raise our own voices to create America's song. For those who frown upon such foolishness, please forgive my little flight of poetry. It is an outcome of my fears regarding the foreboding path ahead if we do not, I hope, find it within ourselves to remember that we are all Americans.